I'm Beth. And I'm Jamie. Welcome to Driver Picks the Podcast. Where I pick the podcast. And I shut my cake off. And today she we... just tried to bark that like a fucking dog. <laughs> you want to have another go? You no, want... no, no. <laughs> I thought you were gonna do like a Scooby Doo. Like I don't know if I can do that. No, I rip my rip. And today's episode of Jamie does not know how to do a Scooby Doo. That was shocking. I'm so sorry. Do you want to try again, or are we just gonna? I don't think I can do any do you know better. It's this shameful thing. That sets the tone. And yeah. I think that's a great way to describe this week's efforts. The worst thing is I'm actually normally pretty good at other voices and like accents and shit. Like <laughs> that just was not it. That's today's just not the day. That's fine. That's it's not fine. the vibe for the day. Like, anyway. Look, that was a flop of an intro for a, a flop, flop of, of an episode. episode. Yeah. <laughs> Glad today we're sharing the brain cell there. So if you haven't already guessed, we're going to be discussing... Season 6, episode 8 of CW Supernatural, All Dogs Go to Heaven. Jamie, <laughs> I know you just called it a flop, but what did you think? Okay, so first up, I want to say thanks, Beth. You're so welcome. I don't know what I did. <laughs> Last week, you convinced me to rate the episode a 3 out of 5 rather than 2.5. I did. <laughs> that seems correct. Okay. This episode is a two and a half. Spoiler for my rating, you can just stop the episode now, I guess. But like... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you were right. The show can get worse. <laughs> it certainly does. A hundred percent. It gets worse rather rapidly. Yeah, immediately, actually, okay. in fact. I feel like we should start with what we liked about the episode. I... And then we can go into everything else. Because I think what we liked is going to be the shortest possible section. I was going to say, I think we should start the episode with a big yikes caveat. Yeah. <laughs> because, well... Everything. There's a lot here, and we probably won't touch on everything just because it would literally take hours. But and yeah, Beth needs a nap, so I am yeah struggling today. So full disclosure, general big yikes. Anything that we don't mention explicitly, this is yeah. coverage for that. <laughs> we see it. We know it's big yikes. We just don't have the energy for that today. <laughs> Sometimes you watch an episode of Supernatural and you just kind of go, "No, we don't have time to unpack all that." <laughs> But starting out our episode with the few things that I liked about this episode, Crowley is iconic. Yeah. He is just out here doing the most and he is objectively correct. Crowley really looked at the boys and said, call me daddy. Like, <laughs> Which really just begs the question, is he trying to get with Bobby or is he trying to get with Dean? Up for debate, <laughs> honestly, at this point. I would like to say thank you again for not spitting tea all over my laptop. <laughs> You're so welcome. I you almost did a spit take. It nearly came out my nose. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was a real struggle for me. Thank you for acknowledging it. Last week, I said that it feels like Crowley is trying to establish dominance by fucking all of Dean's parental figures. And I feel like this episode did nothing to dissuade that take. <laughs> Literally, he's been on screen for... Two seconds. And he goes, is that Bobby Singer? Give him a kiss from me. And I'm just like, obsessed. Love that. Incredible. It's so funny because you know if John was still alive, Crowley would be trying to fuck John. Oh, you know, I think he might. Like, okay, you know how we talk about how Dean will use humor to like Mm -hmm. make other people uncomfortable, but it's always like, oh, I don't swing that way kind of jokes. I think Crowley would do the same thing to John. Do you know what I mean? I feel like Crowley would try to make John uncomfortable. In that way. Or do we think that this is just Crowley copying Azazel? Because we all know that Azazel fucked John to make the poison (laughs) possible. 
Giselle confirmed. <laughs> it's going to be a certain energy to this episode that I don't know if I'm ready for. I'm going to be editing this in like fucking months, depending on how long this writer's strike goes for it. I'm going to have forgotten everything we've said. But literally, I actually, part of me wonders if like, to get at John Crowley would just even more aggressively flirt with Dean. <laughs> that actually might be the way he would go about it. Because, like, in this episode, not only does Crowley refer to himself as Papa, which is like, all right, okay, calm down. But, like, he also says, come on, Dean, smile, which is such a, like, feminine coding of Dean and, like, that whole thing about, like, oh, you'd be pretty if you smile. And it's like, shut the fuck up, you know? Like, it's, it's that again. The thing is, though, because... Crowley's so aggressively queer-coded. Yeah. <laughs> that it's basically just gay-on-gay gay violence at this point. <laughs> Literally. Not him saying you'd sell your brother for a dollar if you really wanted a drink. Like, uh, and the fact that Sam doesn't even argue with that assessment. And then later on in the episode, like, right at the end, he, Sam basically goes, yeah, I would sell you for a dollar. <laughs> Hell, I'd take 50 cents. <laughs> <laughs> Sam being like, flat out, I don't care about Lisa or Ben. I don't even really care about you. It's just so, like, what an insane thing to include in an insane episode. Yeah. Like, really, in all honesty, this episode, you could miss the middle 35 minutes and you would miss nothing. Yeah. Like, the most important parts happen in the first five Mm -hmm. and the last three minutes. And that's kind of it. Everything else in the To be fair, though, that's pretty par the course for Supernatural. Like, this is a trick they do well. They're like, here's an irrelevant episode, but to make it main plot overarching, the boys are going to have a serious conversation by the car in the last five minutes. Yeah. That's all you need to know. I can't really argue that one if I'm being totally honest. The brilliant thing is my prediction, I would argue, is pretty well correct in that it's basically the same episode as last week except (laughs) for just with Werewolves. werewolves. And I know they're not technically werewolves, but, like, they're a cousin of the werewolf. It fucking counts. I think that this season... It's tricky. I showed you a meme before, but I really only showed you half the meme yeah. because the other half was spoilers. But essentially it's like... Just straight up spoilers. It was literally just a timeline of season six and it's just like, wow, this is so boring. Why is their grandpa here? And then it's like this tiny little bit at the very end, which is like, holy shit, what the fuck? And then it's just like, that's season six. Like, up to this point, it's kind of like, okay, we get that there's some overarching stuff happening. We're seeing, like, the character dynamic. I feel like maybe this episode was supposed to be some kind of parallel about, like, Dean and Ben and Lisa in a weird fucking way. Mm. But whatever they were trying to do with that, just, I don't think, landed. Because in that instance, like, Dean would have to be the dog equivalent. And Mm. I just don't think that maps very well like it does in some respects like in the whole like you know you're the closest thing I've had to like a quote-unquote like traditional family and you know you've shown me more kindness and blah blah like that Mm -hmm. maps but like the rest of it doesn't like the whole like oh you care about them and you'd kill for them like yeah sure like yeah but the way that he's like fully deceiving them and lying to them and like watching her shower like you know like it's And I know that I've always said, like, you know, I've got a bit of a leeway that I apply to season six. Mm -hmm. And that still holds. Like, I think that they were trying something new. And I think they realized maybe a quarter of the season in that it wasn't really panning out the way they'd hoped. And they kind of pivoted to sort of shift away from the whole, like, Campbell's thing. Because, like you mentioned last week, like, those characters are really fucking boring. And, no, Mm -hmm. like, you're not really connecting to them. You don't care about them. 
from what I can tell, that seems to be the opinion of the majority of the fan base at the yeah. time. Like, everyone was like, okay, who the fuck are these people? Why should we care? We mm-hmm. have no reason to like them. They're kind of boring, like, whatever. And so, obviously, that was supposed to be some important thing. And it just wasn't being received well. So, like, I assume that they probably saw the audience ratings mm-hmm. and whatever and pivoted. I will say, though, I-, I want you to understand that I don't think they're pulling it off. But I think they're trying to do the most interesting thing they've ever done with Supernatural. Oh, okay. Interesting. If that makes sense. Like, I think the concept is really interesting. Unfortunately, I to be don't... Clear, of this season or this episode? This season. Okay, cool. I just wanted to check. I was just like, just... Jamie's out here with his spicy heart. <laughs> I was just going to say. <laughs> like, just to be certain. Oh, yeah, no. Okay. I think this season they're trying some of the most ambitious... And the most interesting plot lines they've ever attempted on the show. Yeah, I agree. Because you've got to remember that seasons one through five, they were doing the same thing the entire time. Yeah. They didn't really try anything different until they switched up with season four. Yeah. Because of the writer's strike. I think this really marks a full pivot of what the show is trying to stand for. Which makes sense because we've got a new showrunner. Makes yeah. sense. We've got a new showrunner. I think also considering Kripke's stance towards reoccurring characters and support cast for the brothers the fact that sarah gamble was like okay but this season we're pitching it as more of an ensemble show we're introducing the campbells Mm -hmm. i think is a really interesting choice and i think it's a really bold choice considering the show's previous history with reoccurring characters and like hunters that don't die tragically at the end of their episodes yeah i just think it's really unfortunate that the characters they created for it were so underwhelming because yeah. if they had done this and the characters they created were not what they are, this could have been so fucking interesting. I think that the I think that the issue is exactly what you've just outlined, is that they had this great concept, they wanted to make it a more of an ensemble with more recurring cast members and stuff, but the issue is they leaned into the gritty gritty. Mm-hmm. And they leaned into this like masculine, grungy, mm-hmm. whatever aesthetic. And that was the thing that was so kind of like that was the least interesting thing about what Supernatural was through the Crypt yeah. era. That, like, hyper-masculine, everything is fucking dark as hell, mm-hmm. and everyone's, like, grrr, angry all the time. Whereas, what is really interesting, and this is, like, kind of a minor spoiler, but, like, it's not enough of one that I'm worried about, yeah. is that next season, which is still Gable era, mind you, they pivot. Mm-hmm. Every new character they introduce that becomes recurring or a supporting cast member is not that. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm thinking yeah. for those listening at home, I'm thinking about... Fingers like, in my ears. These are, these are characters that you would have heard yeah. of. Mm-hmm. Like, we're thinking Charlie. Yeah. We're thinking Kevin. Mm-hmm. We're thinking, I'm pretty sure Garth is next season. If he's not, I'm pretty sure he's season eight. But he's, like, coming up soon. You know, like, all of these characters are the antithesis of yeah. gritty and dark and hyper-masculine. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think what's really interesting in the argument that you just made, which is that they were trying to do this ensemble thing and trying to, and like, I think expand. it could have been the most interesting thing that the show done today. Yeah. Unfortunately, they did it badly. They did it in the wrong direction. Yeah. I think that they read the room poorly. I think they looked at Sam and Dean and went, why do the people like these characters? And went, oh, because they're gritty and real and, you know, sad all the time. Yeah. And it's like, no, in reality, they liked them because they were complex and layered mm-hmm. and had complex inner workings. And they were like, oh, so what we're going to lean into is the sad element and not the complex layered characters who are sort of almost paradoxical. Yeah. And 
I think another thing is that they just fundamentally misunderstood who their fan base was. Mm -hmm. If they're trying to pander to an audience that they view as hyper-masculine, this choice makes sense. Yeah. But the thing was that the audience that they were trying to pander to didn't exist Mm -hmm. because their audience was just not That audience had already quit by the time they introduced Castiel. They went, gay and quit. (laughs) They were like, (laughs) my homosexual vibes are tingling and I don't like it. (laughs) But like... Yeah, so by the time we're getting to season seven, and I, this is why I think that you will like season seven yeah. more than the average viewer did, because it is much more, like it leans into kind of the goofiness yeah. of Supernatural. And I think that maybe... I'm a goofy fan. You're a goofy fan. And I think as we get through some of the more like meta episodes of season six, because we haven't really had any yet, mm-hmm. but the meta episodes of season six are really fun and really goofy and silly. And as they lean more into that, you kind of get more of a sense of like, okay, we're moving away from this hyper gritty thing because it clearly was not fucking working. Yeah. And so I feel like there was obviously the shift going into Gamble. And then I think they had the concept, like you said, great idea in theory. They executed it with the wrong kind of mindset and then they shifted again. And I think that once you get to season seven, you're at what they were kind of aiming for, Mm -hmm. which is they've still got like a single season long plot it's follow-on from the end of season six, and you've got more of a recurring ensemble cast, but the characters that they introduce are way more fun and, like, a bit goofy, and they're very, very individually significant versus, like, the Campbells, who just feel, like, copy-paste. Yeah. Like, they all feel like the same character, just with different names and bodies, Yeah. versus having individual characters that are very distinct. Mm-hmm. And I think that that, in and of itself, is a reason why I think season six feels like flat mm-hmm. i sort of realized something as you were talking about that oh. do you mind if i do some character analysis here i know you're not super highly one of the things that i'm sort of realizing is one of the reasons why so many people love these characters they're really paradoxical if that makes sense like they're very layered but in very contradictory ways yes so like the most obvious example that i can think of is sam his dream was to go to college and be the normal one and you know, all he wanted to do was be a lawyer and get married and have the white picket fence and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Unfortunately, he's a fucking freak. <laughs> Literally and figuratively. Yeah. So it's like that core contradiction is what fuels every single one of his decisions, every single one of his choices. Yeah. It is the basis of everything. So underneath every layer that you've put on that character, he has this core contradiction. Mm-hmm. And then with Dean, you have obviously... Have almost the inverse. The inverse. He is softer. He's more caring and everything. But he was never able to display that. So now he goes around thinking that his value lies in his role as a protector rather than a carer. And so you've got that base contradiction. And then you have, you know, Castiel, who was designed to be a fucking angel of the Lord, basically a foot soldier in Heaven's army. Yeah. Unfortunately... He's a little fruity. <laughs> yeah. You know, he was... <laughs> the power of gay can break through any veil. <laughs> Not just the one of death. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, he was specifically designed to follow orders. Yeah. And so what happens when he doesn't? Yeah. You know, and that's the key of his character. The cognitive dissonance of it all. You know what I mean? And then you've got Bobby, who, like, seems like a pretty straightforward character... But he's not. And you don't even know the half of that yet. We haven't even got the full Bobby Backlaw. He was normal and then he had a tragedy and now he's a hunter. And, you know, as much as he cares for 
Sam and Dean, he still couldn't protect them when they were younger. And so now he's feeling that guilt that around it. You know, they're his sons in everything but blood. Mm -hmm. And, like, he protects them. And that's, like, he's built his entire identity around protecting them because he wasn't able to. So it's, like, that contradiction of, like, all he wants to do is protect them, but he can't. And that's why he's an interesting character. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it's the same thing, like, you've got the exact inverse of Sam with Joe. She wanted to be a hunter so badly. Unfortunately, she was getting told to be normal. Yeah. You know, and she actually had the opportunity to be normal, whereas Sam never had that opportunity, but he desperately wanted it. Yeah. So it's like they've almost missed the key component that made all of their previous characters interesting was they're all inherently a contradiction. Mm -hmm. Like at the very base of their character, there's one major contradiction that fuels all of their cognitive dissonance and fuels all of their character development, the character growth and the character choices. And so now they've given us characters who just don't fucking have that. Yeah. And they're like, why don't you like them? Yeah, it's very it's very tricky. And like the characters that I listed off before, another one that I thought of while Jamie was talking is actually Frank, who is also in and of himself a very interesting character. Like all of those characters, all four of them, I said that they were all very individual. Mm-hmm. And they are. There is like, you can sort of group them together in a sense, but like. Based on vibes alone, nothing else. Yeah. Because there's nothing else that actually connects them. Throughout the show, we get different amounts and, like, variations in all of their backstories. Mm -hmm. We get to see them be in all sorts of different mind stages. Like, we get to see them happy. We get to see them sad. We get to see them angry. We get to see them stressed. We get to see them scared. We get to see them having the time of their lives. Like, we get to see all these iterations of these characters. We get to know them really well. And we get to see their friendships develop with the boys over time. Mm-hmm. Whereas with this, with the Campbells, it just kind of feels like, you know, like we've been talking about this kind of idea of family versus the mm-hmm. actual reality of family. It feels just kind of stilted. And mm-hmm. we don't know these characters. Like we said, we literally could barely remember Gwen's name mm-hmm. or Christian's name. Like I did not know the Campbell cousins' names until watching them this season with you. And the only reason I know is because I had to make sure that I knew. So that if we needed to talk about them, we can... (laughs) Like, I have never bothered knowing their names before this. And they are never relevant again after this season. Mm -hmm. I also just want to say the other thing is we don't get to know them. Mm -hmm. Like, because when we open the season, Sam has been working with them for a year. We never get to see Sam getting to know them. No. Also, Sam doesn't give a shit, so he's not yeah, going to get to know them. Also, Sam is not exactly making small talk. Like. No. <laughs> so we don't get to see Sam get to know them, but we also don't get to see Dean get to know them because Dean's like, why the fuck would I want to know these fuckers? They're clearly up to shit that yeah. I don't want to be involved in. And also, like, we talked about, like, early on in this season how it's very much like Dean's point of view. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah, because Dean's view of these people is basically the same as the audience view, which is, like, these people just kind of suck and we don't trust them and who the fuck are they anyway? Yeah. That's the audience perspective and it is what Dean's perspective essentially Mm. is. The key thing is they could have given these characters actual personalities, actual story arcs, etc. Like, they've sort of tried to shortcut their way through by being like, oh, well, Sam's been working with them for a year. It's like, that's great. We still don't fucking know them. And then when you get the Sam is soulless reveal, it's like, oh, so Sam doesn't even know them because... Yeah. He doesn't feel anything. 
He hasn't bothered because he doesn't fucking feel anything. So why would he bother actually getting to know these people? Sam, it becomes abundantly clear through this episode. And one of the things I do love is that as soon as the soulless thing is revealed, Sam immediately gives zero shits. Like, he's just saying whatever he wants because he's not trying to pretend anymore. And I'm like, this is so funny. (laughs) He's like, oh, I'm soulless now. Oh, well. Someone doesn't like that. They can fucking deal with it. Like, I'm not hiding it anymore. But not only... Is he just, like, not engaging with the people around him? But he's also, like, last episode, Dean told him, like, oh, you have no instinct. And he is so fucking right. Sam, literally, they fucking are interviewing the, like, boyfriend. I can't even remember what his name is. Like, whatever that they think is guilty at the very start. And then Sam's immediately, like, so do we bag him now? And he's like, no. We don't even have a fucking case right now. We know nothing. There are two options. He could be a werewolf. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Or he could just be an alcoholic. He could literally just be some guy. Yeah. Not a, not a great guy, yeah. to be fair. It's clear that he's like, you know, and like not Dean's, the best boyfriend kind of thing. And Dean like, specifically makes the point that he smells like vodka. Well, like, actually, actually, Sam says, if all you drank was beer, why are you sweating vodka? And I have a fucking question about that. Which is, number one, does your soul inhibit your olfactory system? Because... How? Sam, like, do you just have super smell now? I don't understand. To be Cup fair. Cup off is Sam actually sent addition. <laughs> but, like, you know what I mean? I was like, Sam, like, how would you know? I mean, I guess it depends on how strong the scent was, I guess. I don't know. But I was just like, what a weird thing to say to someone. Like, and this is not the first time that we've had Sam sniffing people. I just want to point out, like, recently we've had Sam sniffing people a weird amount of times but yes anyway so no sam can smell the vodka on him but one of the things that they do when they think it could be i think the guy's name is ron Mm -hmm. is they stake him out the whole night and they go from like fucking club Mm -hmm. to club to bar to wherever to some dude's garage like you know following all over town and then they get to the end of the night and he's like sun's coming up the guy didn't turn like it's not him like let's just Mm -hmm. go home right And I'm like, guys, remember when Sam spent the whole night with Madison and she didn't change until she went to sleep? (laughs) Remember when that happened? Remember how you literally recapped? Do you remember how you recapped that for us at the beginning of this fucking episode? And then Sam even brings Madison up later in this episode. I'm like, guys, remember how she didn't turn until she fucking fell asleep? The man hasn't slept. All night, you know, because you were also awake watching him all night. Like, guys. To be fair to them, Mm. Madison was in bed before dawn. Well, we all know about Sam and his penis of death. You know, this is old news. Old Old news. news. (laughs) Sam's cursed penis. Like, we've all seen it. (laughs) Oh, yes, the time knife. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, speaking of which. That part where they're interviewing the dude who is also lucky and mm-hmm. Sam is like, is it a kinky thing? That gif. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> Gets used a lot. Also important to note, this is not the last time that Sam is involved with a dog being hit by a car. Or in fact, the last time that Sam is involved with a dog and a vet. I can think immediately of a pretty plot significant situation with Sam and a dog that gets hit by a car and in a later episode just one with Sam and a vet and also a dog but not really a dog in a different way to this episode not really being about a dog 
So Supernatural literally said, let's save the environment and recycle. <laughs> Supernatural really said, you can count on Sam to do two things. Number one, watch women through windows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and number yep. two... Sam be liking. Number two, have a weird number of encounters with dogs and vets. <laughs> They make choices about Sam's character, and I just don't know if they understand how creepy they are. I know. Like, they're like, here is this fantastic character that you're meant to love because he's just such a good person. It's so funny that they really painted Sam as the upstanding moral guy, and then you get to, like, a couple of seasons later, and you're like, this man is literally... An absolute psychopath. Like, I know they're both serial killers, but somehow Sam feels more like a serial killer than me. Well, I mean, I think there's something to the fact that Sam literally said this episode he had killed innocent people. <laughs> like, he literally flat out just admitted that. And also, we get no further information on that, ever. No. <laughs> like, we just have to accept that and move on. Absolutely. That's clearly how it works. A normal thing from your protagonist. Yeah, obviously. You just expect them to be like, oh, a little bit of a serial killer. That's how it works. And to be fair, like, the bar's on the floor with Supernatural. But here's the thing. Sam, without a soul, you know when people say to you, like, oh, well, if we didn't have the Bible or, you know, without Jesus, society would just be full of rapists and murderers and stuff. And I'm like, hear me out. I don't need to believe in religion to not murder or rape people. I don't I need just, a book to tell me not to do it. I just yeah, don't want to do I it. I just, like, yeah, I will murder the exact number of people I want to, and that number is zero. No book can stop me. <laughs> like, like, do you know what I mean? So, like, Sam not having a soul is so funny to me because it doesn't stop his brain from being logical. No. So, like, he's like, I, I am okay with killing this person. You shouldn't need, like, your internal moral compass to be like, hmm, that's a bad thing to do. That's my interpretation anyway. And so it's so funny looking at Sam. And then, like, we get, I'm specifically for everyone listening at home, I'm thinking about season 10 and I'm thinking about a particular arc where a different protagonist has, like, a bit of a, mm, let's say, like, a, a rampagey moment, right? Okay, yeah. And, yes, queen, go on. And, like, the difference in, like, Sam being like, yeah, I killed innocent people. And then the kinds of people, honestly, even, like, even, like, let's think about early season seven. <laughs> and, like, the kinds of people that are being targeted, you know, by one of the characters. I think that there's a significant difference. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> That's so, the goal. If you have, if you want me to have an opinion you I can't have can't. an opinion on this. I'm very specific. These are major plot points. I'm very specifically trying to be vague, but to the point where I know people listening who have seen the show will know what I'm talking about. But okay. I just think that Sam just being like, yeah, I killed innocent people and moving on and it being like, it's okay because he didn't have a soul. I think it's just a, such a funny thing compared to what some of the other characters that we end up having quite a fondness for mm-hmm. have I mean, to be fair, the (laughs) fandom's favourite character is an interpreted child murderer. (laughs) You're right. And here's the key thing. Our standards are a bit whack. (laughs) And here's the key thing. I think that could literally describe, like, four different characters on this fucking show. Basically anyone except Dean. Yeah. (laughs) At this point. Yeah. I don't know. Mm -hmm. They go through a lot in this show. Here's the thing. I feel like at this point... Sam's probably not even just like an attempted child murderer. I reckon sometime in that year where he was operating with Samuel without a soul, he probably killed a kid out there somewhere. I wouldn't be surprised. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, I should have another question for you. Yeah. 
This is, oh, that's what I was going to say before. Mm-hmm. The thing that I forgot. I was going to say that Sam working with Samuel is like really tricky for the audience because like you, like you said, we don't really get to see it happen. Even when Sam spent all that time working with Ruby and he trusted Ruby implicitly and Dean and the audience mm-hmm. could not understand why, we got the whole fucking episode dedicated to the flashback that was why Sam trusted Ruby and also the like, you know, story of how they ended up working together and like the sort of experiences that they had shared. And like we the thing is, I don't, here. I don't agree with that, but you can still see why he would have done it. Yeah, exactly. Like you still get a little bit of Sam's like perspective and you can be like, oh, okay, I can understand given the context. Like I still don't agree with it, but I can kind of... Couldn't be me, but I can also understand implicitly... I can, I can still understand implicitly trusting someone who has saved your life on multiple occasions. Yeah. I can still understand implicitly trusting somebody who essentially pulls you out of your depression. Yeah. I can see why you're, like, of that opinion. I can see that. We don't get any reason why Sam trusts Samuel other than his family. Like, and I guess he shares my name. Like, And I think the other thing is, like, we as the audience are, like, inclined and Dean is inclined to distrust Ruby because she is presented as a demon. And regardless yeah. of her actions, like, it all comes back to, okay, but she is a demon. Whereas, like, if you want to put it on the comparison, like, through season four, like, Sam and Ruby were often paralleled with Dean and Cass. We are more inclined, and Dean and Sam are more inclined to trust the angels purely because mm. they are angels. <laughs> yeah. So when Dean first meets Cass in like that barn or whatever, and he's like, I don't trust you, it makes sense that after a couple of episodes, he starts to come round because mm. he has a few more conversations with Cass and he kind of gets the idea of like what's going on a little bit. And Cass doesn't seem to be a threat to him and like whatever mm-hmm. so you can kind of see that being the same as like with Sam and Ruby but in this particular instance like we don't even get that like there is no Dean and Samuel like there's there's Sam and Samuel there's no Dean and whoever Deanna yeah there's no comparison to be like okay this is the, the we can see the yeah you know what yeah. I mean and like but all that to say I have a question for you about Sam oh this here. never ends well no I think this could be fun so Sam is like a true crime buff like, he just, he likes it, you know? Okay, yeah. And so there's, like, this running joke in the fandom about how funny it would be that, like, you know, Sam is sitting there listening to his true crime podcast, or rather he's jogging and listening to his true crime podcast. Eating and, a salad. You know, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stereotype Sam things. Yeah. And he's listening to a case, and, and it's, like, unsolved mysteries kind of thing. You know, like a BuzzFeed unsolved mm-hmm. episode. But yeah. he's like, oh, shit, I remember that. That was us. Like, you know, and it's a joke about, like, yeah. how many cases does he come across that were actually him and Dean. Yeah. And obviously. I, I have a question. Mm-hmm. So now that we know Sam doesn't have a soul. Yeah. We know he's not sleeping. Mm-hmm. How many true crime podcasts do you think Sam has burned through in this year? Okay. So. <laughs> or, like, what other activities do we think Sam, like, has he picked up a hobby? Has he learned crochet? I just mm. want to know how he's filling his time. Okay. So. <laughs> Let's say average true crime podcast episode length is between like an hour and an hour 30. Yeah? Sure. Yeah. If he is just exclusively listening to podcasts, he's listening to at least eight a night, maybe, maybe six, seven, eight, somewhere in there. Yeah. To be fair though, I don't think Dean sleeps eight hours though. So no, he sleeps like four. That's what he has kind of given us. Okay. So let's say four podcast episodes. To be fair night. though, Sam was not with Dean for mm. that year. True. And yeah. I bet Dean was getting more than four hours in that year. This is probably the best he slept since he was an infant, actually. <laughs> God, that's depressing. But, yeah, like, what do we think Sam was doing with mm. all his spare fucking time? Because we get a little bit of insight later on, because, like, Cass doesn't sleep. Yeah. 
And so we get insight later on as to like what Cass gets up to while the brothers yeah. are like napping. But I don't, I feel like, you know how Sam just has a whole bunch of unexplained skills and they always go, oh, he just learned that at Stanford. <laughs> He's actually learning all of those skills now, actually. <laughs> You think that Sam's doing like an online uni yeah, from degree? Yeah, from this, from this point on, like if you know sign language, you didn't learn it at Sat Danford. No. Oh my god, you're yeah. so right. You know what I mean? He was like watching YouTube tutorials yeah. while he couldn't sleep. Yeah. Obsessed. Mm-hmm. I love it. Okay, that's my headcanon now. I'm adopting it from you. He's going and learning all of the skills that we can't explain where he knows them for later on. This is the stretch of time where he was learning them. Okay, I love that. What would you do if you didn't have to sleep? Like, and it didn't impair your function at all. Mm-hmm. Forgetting the soullessness bit, you can keep your soul. I don't know. I'd probably, like, I'd probably write a lot more. Yeah. I would probably watch more movies, honestly. Like, fun fact, I like the worst rom-coms you've ever seen. <laughs> like, the worse they are, the better. I know they're not good. Like, I want to be clear here. Like, I'm not trying to say they're good movies. Yeah. They're not. They are objectively bad, but there's so there's something so fun about watching a bad rom-com. I love that for you. So you would just like categorically watch every single terrible rom-com. Yeah. I love that. Like those Hallmark Christmas rom-com movies, Mm. chef's kiss. (laughs) They are terrible. The production quality, the acting quality, almost always across the board bad. The writing, (laughs) hilariously out of touch, but so fucking good. Like there is just something so fun about watching them. I had someone that was watching one of those movies at my house once and I just couldn't stop giggling and they were like what the fuck and I was like I was like half watching the movie like you know yeah. when you're just in the same room as a movie and you're yeah. like doing something but like you can hear it and you mm-hmm. kind of like look up every now and again I was doing that and I realised every single fucking time this one character came on screen he was like the dad in the film yeah yeah obviously he was, he was holding a different mm-hmm. novelty mug yeah obviously but at no point in the entire like fucking hour mm-hmm. 40 minute movie did this man appear in a scene where he did not have a mug to be fair, it was a Christmas rom-com. So yeah. it was like, he was like, oh, it's winter because it's American and like whatever. Yeah. And I was like, okay. But I was just like, could they not have given this man any other prop? Or did no. he need to have a prop in every single scene? It Here's was just the thing. so funny to Much me. like the Campbells in the first half of season six, Supernatural. Yeah. They were like, we're going to give this character one trait. One one character trait. They're like this character. This man has one character trait, and it's hold mug. It's a holding mugs. It's like a love of novelty mugs. That's it. That's the same thing they did with the Campbells. But it was like it was the continuity mm. of the thing as well. Yeah. Because I, I what I mean is like when I mean every single scene, I mean like he would be having a conversation holding one mug. Yeah. The conversation would continue as they entered a different room. Like they go from the lounge room mm-hmm. to the kitchen, and in that. The mug would change. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was just like, they just did Oh, like if the mug changed, do you know what that means then? If the mug changed, then that's how you know that he's actually secretly the embodiment of Santa Claus. Oh, of course. Yeah, obvious. <laughs> There's magic happening around him. He is Santa Claus. That is how the rules of those bad Christmas movies work. so funny. You need to open your brain, do Bethany. Do you want to know the one time that he did not enter a room holding a mug? Did he pick up a mug while he's in the room? It was when he entered a room holding two. <laughs> Every scene. Yeah. He's outside, he's holding a mug. He's mm. inside, he's holding a mug. He's asleep, there's a mug on the coffee, like on the table. I was like, I drink a lot of tea, mm. but that is insane. Anyway, that's so irrelevant. But no, like, I, yeah, I would probably just watch a whole bunch more movies and TV and mm. actually edit the podcast in a reasonable time frame. Oh yeah, I'd probably edit the podcast. 
God, we'd be so much more efficient at podcasting. So much more. We'd be fucking done by yeah. now. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, back to this episode. This episode was bad. That is the long and short of it. This episode is bad. The whole, like, wolf man thing and the way he's, like, creepily, like, watching the family. And, also, like, I'm pretty sure that this is a bastardization of another indigenous, like, Native American yeah, thing. Which, and uh, I, I'm not that well versed no. in it, but I'm, like, 98% sure that that is the case. We get the names Holton Wilson for Sam and Dean this week. And I was like, oh, that's weird, like, because they don't sound like a reference. So I Googled it. Turns out Holton Wilson is a reference to a movie called Wolfen. And apparently it's about an indigenous dog spirit or something like that. I don't know if the movie's any good. I don't know if it's respectful. But I'm, I'm going to take a stab in the dark and say probably not. <laughs> it just, it's like, it kind of lays out exactly what this plot is if you understand that reference. Which is probably like a good thing. It's a fun little like Easter egg to hide in there. As far as like inclusion by a writer and actually we haven't mentioned yet the, the writer of this week's episode was adam glass and it was directed by phil screezier mm-hmm. but yeah as like a as an easter egg it's a good one yeah but it's just like the implications of it aren't it's weird. it's weird it's weird like that is that is the key and as, aside from aside from that like there's just stuff in this episode where it's like i can't tell and i forget what the actual human's name is so i'm just gonna say lucky for the sake of it but like mm-hmm. It's really hard to tell if they are trying to make him a sympathetic character or not. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, they flip-flop on this harder than they fucking flip-flop on John. At start, it's like, okay, so he is murdering to protect the family. That was kind of like a tick in the, okay, sympathetic column. Yeah. And then he is like so creepily standing there naked watching this woman sleep. Yeah. Which is a tick in the, what the fuck column. And then he like... Climbs onto the bed and, like, goes to sleep or whatever. Okay, sure, kind of neutral. Mm-hmm. But then, like, they wake up in the morning and he's, like, licking her face, which is, like, a totally normal thing for a dog to do. But you know that this but is no longer a dog. Weird when you're aware that that's a full naked adult man and she does not know that. That's in a, that's another chicken. What the fuck, Colm? And then she goes in the shower and, like, he's just fully watching her, which, again, like, not weird dog behavior if your dog is in the room. Because they don't understand it. But, like, fucking pervy and weird. This dude is a not a dog. Man. So, like, another tick in the what the fuck column. And then they end up doing this whole fucking plot line where it's like, you know, Dean's like, no, I understand why, you know, you want to protect them. Like, you're taking out all these threats. Like, they're being, like, they're caring for you and they're being nice to you. And what he actually says is, they're probably the only people in your pathetic life who have ever cared for you. And I feel like that was unnecessary because they literally just established that this guy was taken in from being homeless on the street. Mm-hmm. Which is another tick in the, like, sympathetic mm. column, maybe, because they're, like, he was in a vulnerable situation and he was manipulated and taken advantage of. Mm. That is bad. And I don't appreciate Dean being, like, pathetic life because, like, that's just not was cool. It wasn't really his choice. A bit rude to, like, slam him for it. Well, also, it feels to me like he's being, like, because you were homeless and alone, like, it was, like, a pathetic existence. And I'm, like, that doesn't vibe with me. Like, I just think that's insensitive and just untrue you know so like that's a tick in like the sympathetic column and then like he has this whole arc where like he's just trying to protect the family and like you know he goes into dog mode and like risks his life to protect them so you put that in the sympathetic column but then or or, like the scene where they have like the kid is sick and like he brings the toy kind of thing and you're like okay he like cares but it's in this like sort of sick and twisted way and then at the end of the episode he does that thing that dean did with lisa where like he shows up on the doorstep 
And like, this was something that we really hated and we felt like just was not, you know, it was that he showed up on the doorstep for his own sake. Mm. Like he was not there for her sake. No. Like he fully started with, I don't want to bother you. And I was like, well, then why the fuck did you show up? Like it's the exact same thing as Dean being like showing up and being like, I don't want to stress you out, but some shit's about to go down. It's like, well, then why did you, why did you go? And so like, this is why I'm kind of thinking like maybe they were trying to do some kind of like metaphor where like Dean is the dog guy, but I just don't think it maps that well. Like, and it just feels weird. Like it feels like they haven't decided whether or not he's supposed to be a sympathetic character because I think they could have made it so that he was. A sympathetic character. It's just, like, a weird, like, middle ground. It's not... Yeah, and I don't know if they were trying to frame it like, oh, it's a red herring, like, you're supposed to be distrustful, but then it's like, well, that doesn't make sense. Like, his motives don't make sense if he is supposed to be super distrustful and a risk to the family. Mm. But you could have played it in a... It still would have been whack and insensitive, but, like, you could have at least played it in a he is just a sympathetic character instead of also making him weirdly fucking predatory and creepy. Yeah. There are some things that this episode does that are just boggling to the mind and unnecessary, honestly. Yeah. I do appreciate that she tells him to get fucked Mm -hmm. because like, yeah, but also like it could have been worse. Yeah. Like it could have ended with her being like, oh my God. And like inviting Mm -hmm. him to like be her new partner. Like they could have done that. I'm glad they didn't. But yeah, I don't know. The whole thing is just, as an audience member, I just found it like their direction. Questionable. Yeah, like, I feel like it is not clear how the audience is supposed to feel about this character. And, like, maybe that is the point. But I also feel like the way that they're trying to, like, it feels like they're maybe trying to be like, oh, he's kind of like Dean. It just, it just doesn't... It doesn't translate properly. There's, like, there's a lost in translation element that just doesn't seem right for, like, a number of reasons. So it's just, it's a little weird. A little, a little weird feels like, like that feels like Sam saying, I saw someone get hurt. Yeah, it's the understatement of the year. (laughs) Yeah, like, it's just weird. Yeah. Though, let's transfer to a topic that we can actually maybe talk about other than just being like, oh, blanket statement, it was weird. I feel it's really interesting because this week we saw Sam get healed by a demon. Last week he got healed by Cass, an angel. This week he gets healed by Crowley, a demon. Mm. And somehow it seems more peaceful when he's healed by Crowley. Like, yeah. Despite the fact, blanket statement, that Crowley was the one who inflicted it. Inflicted the pain. The pain in in the first place. In case you're forgetting what Jamie is referencing, because I nearly (laughs) forgot what Jamie was referencing, and I literally just watched the episode like an hour ago. At the very beginning of the episode, Crowley is threatening them, and he's like, don't you understand? I literally own your brother. And he basically puts, like, a bit of the pain of hell, like the fires of hell Mm. or the pit in, like, Sam's hand. Yes. For like a a minute. And then he heals the hand afterwards. Mm -hmm. And it seems more peaceful when Sam is being healed by Crowley, despite the fact Crowley was the one who inflicted the pain on him in the first place, Mm. than it did last week when Cass healed him from the damage that Dean had done. Yeah. And to be fair, Cass had just done the whole, like, let me put my entire hand inside your body thing. he fisted the wrong Winchester. (laughs) But, what a wild statement. We're not getting away from that. Just a warning. Yeah, no... I can feel this becoming recurring and I'm already preparing for it. So yeah, like, you know, I think that it is definitely interesting that Sam seems to take the demon influence like somehow easier. Yeah. So that is fascinating. I also love Crowley's description of this whole scenario as it being a hostage situation. I just think that's very fun. 
Mm-hmm. I don't really have anything more in-depth to say about it. I just like that he was like, do you not understand? This is a hostage situation. You don't have an upper hand here. They're both acting like surprise Pikachu, though, despite the fact that Crowley's literally just done basically the same thing to Bobby. Well, I also just think it's so funny that Crowley literally fully explained everything everything to them at the end of last episode and then the start of this episode he like re-explains it to them like you fucking morons you work for me you have been already working for me i own you i am your boss now what's not clicking what's so funny to me is i reckon they did that because they realized that last week's episode was so boring that half people turned it off (laughs) midway through this is why they put the most important stuff at the beginning and the end because you know people get up in the middle to pee and they're not they don't care that they've missed shit Supernatural, it's not that important. <laughs> One other thing that Supernatural is very interesting for mm-hmm. is that I feel like they have two levels of subtlety. And one level is, like, very subtle. You have to actually be paying attention and, like, thinking about it in depth and have discussions about it kind of subtle. The right? 4D chess. The 4D chess, yeah. yes, that I love to play and you resent. But they have this other version of subtlety, which is, like, when they're about as subtle as a freight train. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they had a moment of this <laughs> in this week's episode. Where they're talking to the husband, Cal is his name. I think I said Ron before, but his... You remembered it now. The victim was Ron and Cal was the brother of Ron, who was the boyfriend of Mandy. And so Cal is saying, you know, you love your brother, but Ron had a lot of problems. He was volatile. And like, while he's saying that, the camera is on Dean and he is fully just side-eyeing Sam. And I'm like, wow, kids, just in case you haven't figured it out. Here it is, served on a silver platter. Here you go. And I just think it's interesting that, number one, they felt the need to do that. (laughs) I just think that's really funny. But number two, I think it's fun that they use the term volatile to describe Sam because that's the word that I'm pretty sure you chose to use to describe him way back in season one. Either I used that word or I used a synonym. (laughs) Yeah, like we've been talking about Sam and his volatile behaviours forever and so it's interesting that they're like highlighting it now that we know that he is soulless but i would argue like this is just a fundamental part of his character and all that removing his soul did was like kind of remove the thin veneer yeah (laughs) of like false moral pretenses that he was putting forward i think the key thing when you're looking at like sam versus soulless sam is by and large he's still making a lot of the same decisions that normal sam was making because previously sam wasn't really he was underutilizing his moral compass. He wasn't really listening to it. He was being like, okay, well, I know that drinking demon blood is probably like a big yikes on the scale of morality, but like it is an effective means to an end. So therefore I am going to do it. Like because he's such a rational character, he doesn't put the same sort of value or emphasis on his moral compass that a character like Dean does, who understands that just because logically something is the best solution doesn't mean that practically it is the best solution. Even before he lost his soul, or rather had his soul held for ransom, he wasn't necessarily listening to his moral compass. It's just not been something that's been a priority for him or his character. Like, for him, it's like, logically, what is the easiest and quickest solution for this problem? Not necessarily counting on what is the most congruent with his moral compass. And so he's sort of just been play-acting at what his moral compass is. I actually have a really interesting quote that I want to share. I'm fairly certain it was from Brandon Mulligan. I'm pretty sure. Is that this guy? That is Brandon Mulligan. Yeah, yeah. okay. I thought that was his name, but I can't find yeah. it anywhere in this this TikTok. But he has this thing that he brought up on a podcast 
And he says, people are not motivated by ideological codes. Uh, people are motivated by impulse and construct ideological codes to justify and rationalize what they were already going to do. And he says, an old professor of mine had this line where he said, on the level of individuals and civilizations, personality predates ideology. And he goes on to elaborate, like, meaning that before you were a fascist, you were a bully. And that's kind of the Yeah, transition. you're using a moral code to justify right. what you wanted to do. Yes, exactly. And I think that that really applies to Sam without a soul. Like, not the fascism bit, but like, you know, where... He doesn't control the soul of the room. <laughs> where before, Sam wanted to make these impulsive, volatile, rash decisions, but he dressed them up. Under As, this moral pretense, right? He ju- he found ways to justify it. Mm-hmm. Like, he wanted to drink the demon blood because it made him feel powerful and in control, but he gave it the moral pretense of, I want to take down Lilith. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to be save stronger people. so that I can save people mm-hmm. so we yeah. don't have to use the knife, so that, you know, Dean's not strong enough, I have to be stronger. Like, he gave these reasons to both everyone else and himself to justify the decision that he had already decided he was going to make regardless. Yeah. And so I think what's really interesting here is we are seeing Sam, who is still making the same decisions. He just no longer feels the need to create a moral pretense. Yeah. That is what is so fascinating about Sam without a soul. We often like, or I don't know if it's just the circles I'm in, but I will often see this interpretation of Sam without a soul as being like somehow like soulless Sam is kind of like evil Sam. And I'm like, no, it's just Sam. Mm-hmm. Like, this is actually Sam at his most fundamental base level. Mm-hmm. He's just no longer constructing morals around his actions. He's just making his actions. And like I said last week, I'm not saying that I think Sam, in a normal frame of mind, would let Dean be turned by a vampire. I'm just saying, I don't think he wouldn't consider it as a possible tactic. Like, I think the thought might still cross his mind. I just think that he would understand morally... I can't do that. And also, to be fair, he would have the context of, like, actually giving a shit about his brother. Yeah. But, like, his rationale has remained the same. Like, his base logic hasn't changed. No. Like, he's not changing who he is at a fundamental level. Like, he's just no longer giving a shit about other people. Yeah. You know, It's kind of like, you know how people sometimes say, like, I'm not being rude, I just tell it like it is. mm -hmm. And it's like, no, no, you are actually being rude. Yeah. Because just, you cannot just tell everything like it is because there are reasons we don't do that like if you meet someone's baby and it's kind of ugly you don't go wow your baby's ugly sorry i'm just saying it how it is you don't do that because it's fucking rude and it doesn't matter if it's your truth like that does not mean that what you said isn't rude me telling you supernatural sucks every week so that's me telling you your baby (laughs) is ugly (laughs) exactly And so I think that it kind of falls under the same thing. Like, Sam is not going to care. If he thinks a baby's ugly right now, he's going to say the baby's ugly. Yeah. He's being rude. But to him, he's just telling the truth. Yeah. It's like we had Cass last week being like, wow, you look terrible. And it's like, he's just stating a fact. Mm -hmm. He is not meaning to be rude, but he is by social convention. There's also a difference between being rude intentionally and unintentionally. Yeah. Like, I want to make that very clear like what's that thing where there's like nine different ways a statement can be miscommunicated between one person saying it and another person hearing it so you know it's just it's tricky but yeah ultimately when it comes down to it i just think that it's really interesting that like yeah this is just sam making normal sam decisions just without the moral pretense 
of like feeling like he should justify his decision. Yeah. Like he's just living his best life. Literally. <laughs> Telling them the bug baby like, baby is ugly. Like yeah. <laughs> that's the key. I think it's really interesting how they've decided to frame it this season. But this episode just kind of low-key sucks. Like it's not even low-key. It's just not a great episode of Supernatural. Like one thing that I did think was very funny every time they did it though was dog vision. <laughs> the dog vision not even low-key it reminded me of the like 2000s instagram like when instagram <laughs> was first introduced yeah and everyone was putting like you know the you know the one million filters of yeah. 2013 yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah obviously like you know like that's that's what it is like it's I, so funny i don't know what else to tell you that is what it is honestly given the time period that this was aired in that that would make yeah. them ahead of the curve yeah <laughs> I fully agree, although I will say, I do appreciate the commitment to the bit that they made the dog vision black and white. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> I do appreciate that they were like, oh, we have to be really scientifically accurate. The black and white is how you know it's a dog. Oh yeah, so the, the knee height and yeah. the shaky cam yeah. wasn't going to be enough. No, no, no. They were like, we need it black and white too. Yeah, Otherwise, sure. they might be confused. Really, they just had no faith in their audience. <laughs> Oh, another thing that was really uh, dumb, but I did think was very funny in like a wow, that's so bad way, was at the very start when the first guy dies and they like smashed the glass of the windshield, but it's not like a practical, they smashed glass. It's like they CGI breaking glass. It was just not good. One thing that I did appreciate though was your comment (laughs) about that being the reason why the title card of this season was the breaking glass. Which, fundamentally, incorrect. (laughs) There is way more specifically significant breaking of glass, like shattering of glass. (laughs) Okay, so if if that's not the reason why the breaking glass is the title card this season, I want to propose a different interpretation. A glass closet. I was going to say Castiel breaking the glass ceiling. Oh, fun. Yeah, and girl bossing his way to the top of heaven. I'm specifically thinking of a particular episode where, like, smashing the glass is, like, kind of a meta- It's kind of like a breaking the fourth wall kind Mm -hmm. of statement. And so I think that that's probably what it's referencing. Mm -hmm. But either way, excellent interpretation. Okay, I think it is time for my PSA this week. Ooh, I actually have a guess this week. Ooh, what's your guess this week? My guess is that privatized housing and generally speaking landlords whose entire job is being a landlord is unethical. That is very valid. Thank very you. Real. I'm is... saying that as, as a renter whose rent has just gone up significantly. <laughs> that is not my PSA of the week. My PSA of the week is telling someone that you will double cross them kind of takes the surprise out of you double crossing them <laughs> and makes it less efficient. So like, just keep that in mind. So Sam, every time he was like, I'm double crosser. Yeah. <laughs> Sam, if you are planning a double cross, you're not hiding at that gray body. <laughs> yeah. Like that kind of takes the surprise out of the double cross. Like, I don't think it's hilarious though that Sam's like, oh, you think he won't double cross us because like he cares about the kid and the girl? And Dean's like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, I double cross us. Yeah. Obviously. It's just so funny. He's just so blase about it. I love that Dean's like, okay, Sam. And he's like, what? I'm just making conversation. <laughs> Sam is like, here's the thing. I'm not a Sam girly. No, but me I, neither. Like, I like Sam, but I, he's just not my Globo, you know? But I will admit that I am enjoying Sam's character a lot more this season as he's getting more and more unhinged. Like, yeah. unhinged Sam is very fun. Sam is at his best when he's at his most psychotic. Yeah, that's like, my personal That's opinion. That's the key. Like, if Sam is not, like, a little psychotic, what's the point of him? Like, you know <laughs> what I mean? What are you, Chuck? Like, 
if Sam is not psychotic, why would you want him? I think Sam is a really interesting and complex character. Mm. He's just not my blobo. Like, I didn't, yeah. like, hyperfixate on him as a 14-year-old like I did Dean. But something about him being soulless is just so entertaining to me. This is, like, peak Sam to me. Mm. Like, don't yeah. get me wrong. I love a lot of the stuff they do with his character across later seasons. But I just think that soulless Sam, it just has a special place in my heart. Particularly, actually, next week's episode for Sam, I just... I look back on it fondly, and I'm really hoping it holds up. (laughs) Oh, I also just wanted to mention that Mm -hmm. when Sam and Dean are talking about Crowley, I know that you said earlier, like, it's kind of difficult to tell, like, is Crowley trying to fuck Dean, or is he trying to fuck Bobby, or is he trying to get to both of them? Like, it's really, like, it almost feels like he's got a checklist. Crowley's dream is a (laughs) three-way. At a certain point, you know that quote that people, like, use all the time, where it's just like, you want to fuck me so bad, it makes you look stupid? Mm -hmm. I feel like you could put that... From Crowley to Dean to Sam to Cass. Yeah. Like, that just sounds like a Crowley line. Mm-hmm. I feel like he would say it to anybody. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, he would absolutely say it to Cass just to piss him off. Mm-hmm. Like, 100%. Anyway, the point is that Dean says about Crowley, he's so far up our asses we're coughing sulfur. Which, number one, I think is just a really funny way to put that. But then Sam immediately... It's also a very gay way of putting that. Well, yeah. And then immediately Sam says he's got us by the short and curlies, which is obviously like referencing pubes. pubes. Yeah. And I'm like, why is this so sexual? Why? It, like, it just doesn't have to be. Like, it just feels like an insane choice to like use those turns of phrases. Like, yeah, anyway, I don't know. They're really out here making the show more gay. That Sarah Gamble Hong Kong who? <laughs> and I think really the only other points that I really wanted to mention this episode is number one, the fucking drama. When Dean is on the, like, or Dean and Sam rather, are on the roof and Dean's got like the long range rifle set up and he's like aiming. He's like, I can't get a clean shot. Oh, actually there was a point where like Mandy was in the way and Dean said like, I can't, she's in the way. And Sam said, take the shot anyway. And it was like, holy shit. Anyway, Moving a right Damn, along. Damn, bitch, you're making choices there. Yeah, Sam's whole thing about, like, oh, yeah, I've killed innocent people makes a lot of sense at that point. But they, like, do this Zoom, and they're playing the most dramatic music. And, like, I get it. They're mm-hmm. trying to build tension. But I just think that it's just a bit much. Personally, a bit much. Number two, the insane amount of counselling that Mandy would need after this. Like, a truly do absurd you think amount of counselling. Mandy and fucking Lisa will get together for, like, support group. They really should, like, I feel like Sam and Dean, there should be, like, a hunter counsellor. And to be fair, we do actually kind of get a hunter counsellor, like, kind of anyway, way down the track. Like, there's literally, like, a, the Winchesters go to therapy kind of episode in a later season. Have you already had that? No, (laughs) not like this. Anyway, so there's, like, a supernatural-esque counselling situation. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like maybe Sam and Dean should hook up with a counsellor or a psychologist who does know about the supernatural so that every single time they do a case they can just leave the psychologist's business card on the fringe of the victim and be like if you need someone to talk to who's not gonna like think you're literally insane call them tell them you saw us tell them we gave you their card they will squeeze you in (laughs) you're across the country they will do telehealth like (laughs) i just feel like they really could have benefited from that but here's the thing to do that would mean that the brothers would have to admit that (laughs) mental health is a thing you're so right and if they do that then they have to admit how far in denial they are currently you're so right and like i just don't feel like that's gonna happen ever i don't know 
they're way better at pointing out issues in other people than they are at looking introspectively True. at themselves. Yeah, they are dumb. <laughs> I just think it's easier to tell someone else, like, hey, maybe you should talk to someone than actually open up yourself. I don't think that makes them dumb. I just think it's true. Anyway, I think that's everything I wanted to cover this episode. Well, Is there I anything think else you I'm all tapped out. I think that was everything that I wanted to cover this episode. It was an episode. Yeah. I told you it was an insane dog episode. What is it about dog episodes that makes them specifically so insane? I don't know, man. Like, that's, that's the real question here. So, with all that out of the way, I mean, you mm-hmm. kind of gave it away in the first 30 seconds of the episode. Two and a half. Two and a half? Two yeah. and a half. It feels right, you know what I mean? Yeah. If I'd given last week's episode a two and a half, I would have to give this one a, a two. two. But that feels like a little harsh because it's still like, you still get some iconic lines from Crowley and that in there. Like, I feel like it's blasphemy to give anything that Crowley Mark Shepard is yeah. on, like, a less than two and a half stars. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that just feels like blasphemy. As a base rate, he gets mm-hmm. 50%. Yeah. yeah. Next episode is called Clap Your Hands If You Believe. Do you have any thoughts, feelings, hopes, fears, dreams, or predictions? So what that makes me think of is like, you know, like the classic Tinkerbell. Like, I believe in fairies, I believe in fairies. So maybe we're getting fairies, which would be cool. Actually, no, it'd be terrible because supernatural. (laughs) I was just going to say, like that's putting a lot of faith. (laughs) I was like, oh, wow, no, like fairies. Like, here's the thing. I think fairies, they could do some really fucking fascinating shit with. And then I remembered it was supernatural. I was like, <laughs> maybe not. Like, then a I remember- show could do something yeah. really cool. <laughs> and then I remembered the kids are all right. And I went, mm, maybe not. Maybe it's some sort of monster that, like, gets its energy from, like, attention or, like... Oh, like a tulpa? Yeah. Sure. Like, maybe something along those lines or, like, maybe an incubus or a succubus. Or some like, sort of god or goddess. Some sort of god or goddess. Something that, like, applause or clapping your hands mm-hmm. would feed. But I don't think I really have any specific predictions. I do think that we're probably going to get Crowley back next week. And if we get Crowley again, I'm not complaining. Mm-hmm. You know, like, again, it feels wrong to rank anything that Mark Shepard is in less than two and a half stars. Like, just inherently, that feels rude to him. Okay, well, that kind of answers the do you think Crowley will be in next week's episode thing. Yeah. So let's uh, skip over that. Or mm-hmm. actually, we'll jump around a circle. And do you think that Cass is likely to be in next week's episode? Functionally, I don't think Castile has much of, like, a place in the plotline at this point. Like, obviously, he always has a place in the plotline, but, like, I don't think there's a clear enough reason for him to be in next week's episode. Like I said last week, I think, like, they're very clearly kind of being, like, here's a in-canon reason why Castiel probably won't be around very much. Yeah. It's, it's like writing yeah. him out of the show without writing him out of yeah. the show. Like, he's not dead. He's just, like, elsewhere. Soon to be dead. In the Civil War. I know that the way like Cass's plotline actually ended was just shocking. But yeah. like, can you imagine if like at some point in like this season they just like they're trying to like pray for Cass and Balthazar comes down and he's like, "Oh, you didn't hear? <laughs> he's fucking dead." And then that's it. Like that's yeah. that's that's it. Can you imagine? Like, I know that how he actually went out is like so atrocious, but like, holy shit! Like an off-screen, barely acknowledged death in season six i think that would have been uh pretty rough but yeah I, i'm pretty sure the cast isn't in next week's episode and i don't mind telling you because like yeah i've already made my guess i've already made my prediction nothing also, was going to change it and also they're very clearly like setting it up like yeah. it's just not going to be around very much this season and like is that a tragedy yes is that just part of the sarah gamble long con as it stands yes mm. so what are you gonna do anyway I think that just about does it for this week's episode. Hopefully you enjoyed listening as much as we had fun recording. 
If you wanted to get in touch outside of listening to us waffle on in your ears for an hour or so every week, you can always find us on any of the social medias. All of the links will be in the description below. And if you did want to get in touch, some possible topics of conversation could include... We'll probably put a poll up that's like, does Crowley want to fuck Dean, <laughs> Bobby, or both? <laughs> that's the real question that I'm walking away from this episode with. Okay. I don't know about you, but... I mean, I'm going to be real. I never really considered Crobby seriously up until this point. But I do think it's fun that you, <laughs> you seem to be all for it. Why wouldn't I be? I don't know. I can't wait until there's like a certain point in the series where there's some really funny discussions to be had about shipping and the way that it'll kind of intersects. And like, I I really don't know how to explain it in a way that doesn't spoil it so that people at home know what I'm talking about. But hopefully you do. And if you don't, feel free to come and ask me about it in the spoiler channels on the Discord <laughs> or DM me. I will be happy to elaborate on what I'm talking about. Otherwise, if you wanted to have a chat, there is also, honestly, like, there are so many weird episodes surrounding dogs in Supernatural. Mm -hmm. Like, rank your favourites. Well, I don't know if any of them could be considered favourites. To be fair, maybe that's a spicy take. Maybe one of your favourite episodes of Supernatural is one with a weird dog in it. I don't know. (laughs) Let us know. Let us know if you have a favourite dog in all of Supernatural. I would be interested. Anyway, thank you so much for listening, and hopefully we will have you back next week. Bye. Bye!